Well, hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Um, I'm Janet B. For recovered from compulsive eating and bulimia. And tonight I am going to talk about amends. So if you have your big book, we are on page 76, the third full paragraph. So remember, we've talked so far about the first seven steps. We've admitted we're powerless, that our lives are train wrecks. We've come to believe that there is a God. Um, and not just a God with a baseball bat who's ready to get us three seconds after we die, but a God who cares about us, a God who has our back. Um, and we've decided to surrender our lives to this God. We've done a whole inventory of our past, our resentments, our fears, our harms to others. We've then shared this inventory with God and with another person, generally our sponsors. And then we've asked God to come in and do a little work, right? We've asked God to come in and remove our defects of characters, God to start rewiring our hearts and changing us. And it says, um, okay, we do the prayer. And then it says, we've now completed step seven. We ask God to remove our defects and we've completed step seven because that's our job to inventory and to ask humbly but it's his job to remove the defects that he thinks need to be removed right now. And then it says, okay, now back to us. We need more action without which we find that faith without works is dead. You know, we've read that expression so many times in the book, but like, what the heck does that mean? If I don't back up my faith with action. It's a dead faith. I always believed in God. I can't even remember a time in my life where I didn't believe in God. So what? I believed in God while I was binging my brains out um, because I hadn't surrendered to God. I hadn't made a decision to live life the way that I thought God wanted me to. And then to take time to try and figure out really what does he want me to do? He wants me to be honest. He wants me to be self-sacrificing. And one thing we see in this book, he wants us to clean up the damage we've done. Then we have a faith that is truly alive. So it says, okay, let's look at steps eight and nine. We have a list of all persons we've harmed and to whom we're willing to make amends. So they're telling us, okay, when we do our inventories, we make a list of people we've harmed. Okay, if you go on the internet, you know, under 12-step groups, step eight lists, you'll probably find, I don't know, a dozen different variations on how to do a list, um, an amends list. So I'm just going to tell you how I do it because that's the way I know how. Um, if it's helpful, great. If your sponsor wants you to do it a different way, that's fine. So here's what I tell my sponsees to do. Five columns. Who I hurt, what I did, how it hurt them, what I should have done instead, and what the amend should be. So we'll take an easy one. Macy's. I hurt Macy's. What did I do? I stole a shirt worth $50. How did it hurt them? They were out $50. What should I have done? Either paid for it or gone without. What should the amend be? Go to Macy's and give them $50. That one's easy. Some of them are a little trickier. So let's say I punched someone in the nose. Who I hurt? Johnny. How? I punched him in the nose. This is why that third column, how I hurt him, is so important. Did I break his nose and he had to pay $2,000 in medical bills? Or did I just embarrass him in front of his friends? Because the amend is going to be different 
based on how I hurt him. What should I have done? Obviously not punch Johnny in the nose. And the amend is either give him $2,000 for the doctor bills he had to pay, or if I embarrassed him in front of his friends, I may need to go to his friends and make it right by saying, you know, I punched Johnny, but that was on me because I was really jealous of Johnny or whatever my, my selfish reason was. So let's say, um, I don't know, a lot of us with our parents, who I hurt, my parents, what did I do? You know, I was a total disrespectful brat. How did it hurt them? It caused them stress and made them feel unappreciated. What should I have done? Treated them with respect. What would the amends be? Well, maybe if I cause them stress, I want to give them a gift certificate for a massage. Or maybe I want to give them a foot massage. Or maybe I want to write them a letter telling them how grateful I am for all the things they've done for me and how I appreciate it. And then make a plan that every week for the next, let's say three months, I'm going to go over there once a week and do an act of service, like do the dishes or take them to the doctor or something. See a very concrete plan, not I will just be a better daughter, very concrete. So we've made our list um, and it says, now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris which has accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. So this is telling me when I stop running on self-will and stop trying to run the show and get all these things that I want, I'm really not gonna cause damage. Now, people may not like me, um, but that's okay. I'll have a clear heart and a clear conscience. And I just remember so many times when I've told my sponsor, oh, this person did this to me or that to me. She says, you're fine. You've got a great life. Like God's got your back kind of thing. You're fine. So it almost, it stops mattering what people do to us so much. So we don't step on the toes of our fellows and retaliate. And then it says something interesting. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. Remember it was agreed at the beginning, we would go to any length for victory over alcohol, over food. So they're saying, okay, at this point, there's some amends you're probably not going to wanna make, but here's what you do, ask. Remember when it says ask, who are we asking? We're asking God, so we're praying. It says we ask until it comes. Guys, that's a promise there. They are saying, if we pray to God for willingness, the willingness will come. I mean, God will answer that prayer. And then they're reminding us, remember, you agreed to go to any lengths for victory over alcohol or food. Why are they reminding us that now? Well, at the beginning, when we were still in the food, it was a little easier to say, I'll do anything. But now maybe we have a month, two months, depending on how quickly or slowly we go through the steps. And, you know, it's a little easy to forget. Um, so they're saying, remember, you agreed to go to any lengths. And they're saying, so they're reminding us, we have to go to any lengths. And they say, okay, there's probably some things you might be concerned about that you don't need to be. Like, says, you don't need to emphasize the spiritual feature on 
the first approach. I love that because that assumes we're going to repair relationships and there'll be a second approach. But we don't go there and say, I've surrendered my life to God. God's got my back now. And therefore, I can make amends to you for the $100 I took from your wallet. No. What we do is we say something like, I realized I was a compulsive eater and that I could never recover until I Set, got my life in order. So in looking back through my life, I saw that one of the things I did is six months ago, I swiped $100 from your wallet. I am truly sorry. I will never do that again. And here's $100 back, maybe plus interest. Okay, we say we're doing it to save our own skin. And they tell us top of page 77, at the moment, we're trying to put our lives in order at the moment, but there's going to be a shift. But this is not an end in itself. So the goal of this program ultimately is not just to put our lives in order. That's why we all came here, right? Who of us came around because we're Mother Teresa and we wanted to be helping other people? I just came here because I just couldn't put the food down. But it says our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. So a shift happens. And I talk to people a lot who they've gone through the steps and they're just not happy. They feel not close to God. And I think sometimes because the shift doesn't happen, um, we're not supposed to be just getting ourselves in order. Yes, we are at the beginning, but something happens where we start craving being of service to God and the people about us. Not all the time. I certainly don't feel like it all the time. Um, but it makes me happy to know that I'm useful, that I have something that I might be able to help someone else with. Um, so again, we start out doing these steps because we're running from food. But a shift happens, and it usually happens automatically in the last few steps, where we start, instead of running from food, we're running toward a closer relationship with God and a, wanting to like get better at helping our fellows. That's a shift that happens automatically. Remember, God's rewiring our hearts through this process to make us more like him. He is not selfish and self-centered the way that I was um, and still am sometimes. So anyway, we have to change. And it says, you know, we don't want to lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores. We don't say, I found the light. You know, I've seen the light. I've got religion. No. But it says our man is sure to be impressed with the sincere desire to set right the wrong. He's going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discoveries. That's just human nature, right? Like, I've never talked to Mother Teresa. I, I've actually, I have read a book of hers or about her, but I'm impressed by what she did, by how she lived her life. You know, not the quotes she said. In fact, I read a book by her and I can only remember like one quote out of the whole book, but I sure can remember how she lived her life. People are impressed with how we live our lives, not the, you know, not the words we say. So they say, okay, we don't use this as an excuse for not talking about God. If it serves a purpose, we announce our convictions with tact and common sense. Well, what would be a good person? Well, let's say the other person is an addict, you know, a compulsive eater, 
or has a family member who is. And we tell them what we've done through the 12 steps so that maybe they'll say, maybe that can help me too. So, and it tells us, you know, sometimes if it's someone we, we don't like very much, it's a little bit harder. And it says kind of too bad. We do it anyway. We go in a helpful and forgiving spirit and under no condition do we criticize a person or argue. We just say we won't get over our own compulsive eating until we straightened out the past. So, you know, sometimes people say, well, what about like if I'm married and my husband has like, you know, continues to do things that irk me. So here's what I would say in that situation. Go through the steps. And unless he's doing something dangerous, like, I don't know, giving the baby a bath and walking out of the room, you know, okay, then you say and do something. But if your husband's just, I don't know, just like watches TV too much or doesn't put his laundry away, do nothing about it until you're through the steps. Do nothing about it. Because once we see um, our part and the things we do wrong, suddenly the fact that my husband didn't put his dishes in the dishwasher isn't a big deal at all. Um, and we just end up grateful, grateful, grateful for these people who have put up with us. Now, what we do, what I even do in, with my husband is we set aside one night a week, like Sunday night, where we will go to each other and, you know, we'll just kind of check in like, okay, is there anything, you know, I've done that's bothered you during the week? And it's a mutual thing. But before we get to that point, we have to make our amends and clean up our side of the street and not mention anything unless it's dangerous. That's my opinion. That's just my opinion. Um, then they tell us, page 78, 90% of the time, the unexpected happens. That people we just were feuding with, that we had no relationship with, suddenly um, there's a bridge built. And sometimes they wish us well. Sometimes they offer to help us and says, it doesn't matter if they throw us out of their office, which actually happened to me once. I had told my boss at work, gosh, this was years and years ago before I was married. Um, my boss had told me not to do something. And I did it because I didn't think he was right. Um, and I thought I should get to overrule my boss. And then it was like, I realized I had to make an amend. And I was scared because he sometimes had a temper. And he actually did like kind of throw me out of his office, but then it was all forgotten about. But I had to do it. I had to do it because I don't want to take a risk of going back into the food just because I may be uncomfortable for five minutes. Page 78, they say, most of us owe money and we don't dodge our creditors. And very interesting, it says, we must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go, for we are liable to drink if we are afraid to face them. Okay, now sometimes people will say, anytime someone eats compulsively, it's a problem with their first step. And the book doesn't say that. Throughout the book, there's all different things that can send us into relapse. And here they are telling us, if we owe money and we're afraid to pay it, we're unwilling to pay it, we are liable to eat compulsively again. So we need to pay money we owe. And it goes on to say, what if we've done a criminal offense? 
What if we, you know, what if we've padded the expense account at work? And they say, they don't lay down any hard and fast rules, but they say there's some guiding principles, page 79. Again, it says, reminding ourselves we've decided to go to any length for a spiritual experience. We ask, that means pray, we ask God that we be given two things, strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. Sometimes someone will say to me, well, I can't make the amend, you know, because the book says like, you know, unless doing so would harm them or others. And I'm the other like, no, 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 we don't get to be the other. It doesn't say unless doing so would harm me. Um, and look how far they go. They say we may lose our position, our job, our reputation or face jail, but we are willing. We have to be. Now they qualify it and they say, but wait, usually there's other people involved. So we're not going to be hasty and foolish martyrs. So I would say if you, you're going through something and you have to make an amends that may cost you your job or a reputation in a place where it's important to have a good reputation or face jail, do not, do not go off and do it on your own. Talk to your sponsor, talk to recovered people about it and talk to God about it. Um, it says, page 80, we ask God's help. And they give an example on page 80 of a guy who had borrowed money from someone, I guess a large amount of money, and then denied it. And the other guy was ruined. People believed it. You know, when he said, he didn't lend me money. And the guy was like, yes, I did. The guy was totally ruined from this guy's lie. So he recovered and he, he knew if he went and told people the truth, he might lose his job. But he talked to his wife, he talked to his current business part, partner, and this is what he said. He came to the conclusion it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. Do we engage? Do I engage in slander against other people? One day I'm going to have to stand before the creator and give an account for that. Then this guy said, he saw he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again and all would be lost anyhow. What does it mean to like place something in God's hands? I mean, do I see a hand coming out of the sky and I could just put stuff in it? No, it means I do what I think God would have me do. Again, in this situation, after much prayer and consultation with others, I do the right thing and I leave the results up to God. And he knew because, right, that's our third step. We do what's right and leave the results up to him. And he said, if he didn't, he knew he would be drinking again and all would be lost. I think, you know, this is why the first step is so important, right? That only people who believe that they're powerless and their lives are unmanageable are going to work this. Because we know, people like us know, if we start eating again, all will be lost. So whatever I have to do to not be eating again. And then it talks about um, domestic troubles. What if someone has had an affair? And they don't give absolute um, directions. They don't say either, yes, you should tell or no, you shouldn't. Page 81, they just give some general guidelines for it. 
And then, but they do tell us that once an amend is made, we forgive. And then the harder part, we forget. What does that mean? It means that if my husband apologizes to me for something and I say, okay, it's fine, no worries. I cannot bring it up again when he does something unrelated six years down the line. We can't do it. They make the people make the amend and we forget. But isn't that how God is? And isn't that how we want God to be with us? When we make our amends to hit, you know, tell him we're sorry, make our amends to others. Don't we want God to just forget about it and kind of erase it? We have to do the same. On page 82, I think they talk about really what living amends entail. People talk about it. That term is not in the big book. But if we're going to make a living amends, like acting appropriately in relationships going forward, it gives us some guidelines. So it says, um, like we just said, number one, let the past stay in the past. Number two, it says we pray, keeping the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. So when we pray for our family members, we think, what will make them happy? What can I do that will make them happy? And But they continue and they say, well, if there's no complications, there's still plenty to do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say the only thing he needs to do is stay sober. They say, no, he is yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents he has so shockingly treated. So I think number three, don't think that just being abstinent, just being sober is enough. It's not. Um, page 83, it says, there's a long period of reconstruction ahead and we must take the lead. We don't just remorsefully mumble, we're sorry. So we don't go to our parents and just say, we're sorry. I think what would warm any parent's heart instead of a, you know, yes, I'm sorry, but then a letter of appreciation, listing very specifically things we're appreciative for that our parents have done for us. So it tells us we never criticize. It says we analyze our own mistakes. And again, we pray, asking each morning in meditation that our creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. Why those four things? Patience. I think that helps me to know that the family doesn't have to change. People don't have to change on my timetable. I ask for patience for that. Um, sometimes, in fact, even as recently as half an hour ago, um, I was thinking about my kids and how maybe they're not where I want them to be. And I just said, God, I believe that the good work you've started in them, you will bring to completion. And any problems they're going through now is just part of the story that they're going to tell later. And it's okay. I pray for patience for tolerance, for the ability to put up with things, that little things don't bother me. Um, I heard it said once, once we have an, a spiritual experience, the mosquitoes of life don't bother us anymore. Kindliness, just treating people well, and love. Love, by definition, involves self-sacrifice. It's more than being kind. It's going out of my way for other people. So then they tell us, page 83, the spiritual life 
is not a theory. We have to live it. How do we live the spiritual life? Well, we don't know everything. So that's why we pray and meditate, right? Every day for knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry it out. And we live it by being honest, by self-sacrifice, by doing what we think God wants us to do in all areas of our lives. It says if our families want to live spiritual principles, great. If they don't, we don't do it and we don't talk incessantly about it. They will change in time. Our behavior will convince them more than our words. So we have to we have to walk the talk. Our feet show what we believe more than our words a lot. And it says, remember, 10 or 20 years of drunkenness may make a skeptic of anyone. You know, years of being unkind to family members. We have to wait if sometimes they don't come around and respond right away. Sometimes people say, well, I made an amend to my daughter after, you know, years of being mean to her. And she didn't, you know, she doesn't want a relationship with me. It's okay. Sometimes we have to live with the consequences of our actions. But it says they will change in time. That's why we have to pray for patience, right? Because for me, in time means five minutes from yesterday. In time. In their time, in God's time. And says there may be some wrongs we can't fully right, and we don't worry about it if we can honestly say we would write them if we could. And then says some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter. Well, these days, it's usually we can usually track someone down. So the best way, I think, to make an amend, obviously, is in person when we can. The next best way would be like FaceTime or Zoom, where we can see each other, then a phone call, and then if we can't, an email or a letter. Um, and it says there may be a valid reason for postponing. I mean, if someone is, let's say, going home where all their family members are in three weeks, you might say, wait three weeks and make the amends in person instead of over the phone. But we don't delay if we don't have to. And how are we? Sensible tactful, always considerate and humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. So that means if we make amends to our family member, once we make amends, it's done. We give them a chance to, when we make the amend, kind of say anything they want to say. And if they want to rail against us for an hour and a half, we listen and we just say, Thank you for telling me. And is there anything you want me to do? But um, we don't like three years later, let someone be abusive to us and say, remember what you did to me 10 years? No, no, we don't do that. We just say, I'm really sorry. Sorry I did that, that it hurt you, but I've made my amends. Is there anything else you'd that I can do? But no, we stand on our own feet. And I think that also means we get to set boundaries. We get to set boundaries. It means, you know, it's like if someone says, my mom keeps coming into my house without knocking. We get to tell our mom, mom, love you, but, you know, I need you to knock and not just walk in the door. We get to set up our boundaries. And then they tell us the beautiful promises that we read all the time, bottom of 83. 
if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. Halfway through. I don't know if that means step six, right? Halfway through the steps, halfway through our amends or what? It doesn't matter. At some point, these promises are going to come true for us slowly or quickly. What's going to happen? We will be amazed. That means like surprised in a good way. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. Was a new freedom, freedom from food. That was freedom we get, but maybe even more freedom, freedom from worry, freedom from obsessing about what people think about us and a new happiness, maybe a happiness that isn't based on our circumstances, but an inner joy and inner peace, knowing that whatever happens, God's got my back and I'm okay. We will not re regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. See, we've made our amends. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. The formula for serenity is on page 68 of the big book. It says, sorry, my book is in, my book is in a few pieces here. Just to, just to the extent that we do as we think God would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity. So we've learned that having serenity doesn't depend on whether there's calamity around us. It depends on, am I doing what I think God would have me? And am I humbly relying on him? If I am, then I can have serenity, even if there's calamity going around. And it says, and we will know peace. Right before we work these steps, it's no peace, N O peace. Now it's K N O W peace. We know peace. We have peace. No matter how far down the scale we've gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. You know, um, you all have probably heard a lot of you that, like when I was younger, before I got in recovery, I faked a rape. More than one person has come to me and told me, I did the same thing. My like psychopaths can be used to help others. And then what does it say right after that? That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. How can I feel useless and have self-pity if like, if I'm able to help others? We, we can't. And self-pity? No, we can never have self-pity as long as we have gratitude. They cannot exist together. So we start living a life of gratitude. We will lose interest in selfish things. That hasn't happened to me totally yet, I have to admit. You know, sometimes I just want to hunker down with a novel or a Netflix. Um, but if the phone rings, I will answer it. Um, and we gain interest in our fellows. That is true. We start caring about other people. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. We look at things differently because we're not looking at what we can take because we're full. We're just full with God. He's filled us. We start having good relationships with our fellows in recovery. That's why a lot of us as sponsors give an assignment, call three people every day. And no one wants to at the beginning. I have never heard a sponsor say, thank you for giving me that assignment. No one wants to. But people are grateful after a while because we develop the 
deepest relationships. We can tell people things that, you know, we can't tell anyone else. You know, we can laugh with people. We can cry with people. We have people we can call and just say, okay, I'm angry. Here's what I think my part is. Here's what I think I have to do. What do you think? And then we have someone supporting us and not judging us and helping us get through get through our problems. Um, I called Melissa yesterday and I said, okay, I'm angry at this person because they said this thing to me, which was really not nice and disrespectful. And she agreed it was not nice and it was disrespectful. And I said, my part was, I didn't say anything back at the time. I didn't say what you just said wasn't nice or respectful. And then she agreed, yes, that's right. And then she gave me some further guidance, like, and if the person starts fighting with you, then, you know, you can just repeat it and you don't have to fight. And it was just so good because, you know, I got help with my problem. I wasn't judged. And I felt a bit closer with my friend who I already feel crazy close with. And then I was able to go and take that action and the resentment totally disappeared. So that's what we get in this program. Um, so our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We're not afraid to call people anymore because we start liking people. Um, and we're not afraid of economic insecurity because we know God's got our back. doesn't mean we're going to be rich. It just means we're not going to be afraid of being poor. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. You know, I haven't really thought about that one. I don't sit there and think, do I intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle me? I mean, I guess so, because it's not very often where I'm totally baffled about what to do in a situation. Um, I generally have an idea. And if I don't, I know where to go to guidance, to God, and to a few select friends whose guidance I trust. Um, we will suddenly realize God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. The promises aren't something we seek. I can't seek, okay, let me have no fear of economic insecurity. Let me have self-seeking slip away. I seek God. I work these steps. And these promises are a result. And it says, are these extravagant promises? Think of the word extravagant. Like if you think of an extravagant party, it's a party that's way over the top. These promises are like so spiritually over the top. And they say, no, we don't think they're extravagant. They are being fulfilled, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but they will always 100% of the time materialize. Look, that would materialize, like almost out of thin air. It just happens if we work for them. What a great program this is and what a great God we have to give this to us. And with that, I will pass.